as a leader, if we don't understand the people that we've got, it's hard to direct them in such a way because some people are going to need a little more direction. Some people are going to want less. It depends. And it's also understanding that just because a person wants less direction in this particular task, 10 minutes later, they may want more direction and understanding when to step in and when to step back. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders. I am your host, Emmy Kirshner, and today's guest is Simon Cardinal. I want to like clap because I'm so excited to have him here. Simon spent 26 years serving the Canadian Army and the Royal Canadian Air Force, which for short is RCAF, and that's how we're going to go with it from now on. And he climbed the ranks of command structure, gaining leadership lessons from his epic mistakes and wins. He is a believer of servant and transformational leadership. Simon retired from the RCAF to pursue new adventures and long-held passions, including hosting his own podcast titled Trench Leadership, a podcast from the front. Simon, welcome. And I love that you have listed your epic experiences with mistakes first. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I I always love talking to other podcasters because we just understand everything that goes to get to the point of actually being able to speak with each other. And so thank you very much for for having me on your show. Oh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. So let's, I'm going to dive in like head first. Let's do this. Yeah. Right. You said epic mistakes first. And why did you, you put that? That was not, I presume just random. Well, that was very much intentional. And that's mostly because I really believe that we learn the most from our mistakes, maybe not necessarily in the moment, but there's always some type of post thought going on in the back of our head. We're chewing on the, the whatever happened. And quite often what comes out of that is like, oh, I've, I've, this is what I could have done better. Or this is maybe what I, what could work really well in the mistake, but maybe this is how I need to adjust. Maybe I need to do these things because more often than not people, especially leaders, they want to do a good job. They want to take care of their people. They want to succeed in the project. And if something happens that could be perceived as their fault with finger quotations, we're naturally predisposed to want to understand that. And when we win, most often leaders will kind of shy away from that. We'll accept it graciously, but at the same token, there's not a lot of looking back and saying, well, what was good, what was bad? Mm-hmm. It's the failures, those mistakes that really help us grow in, in, in leaps and bounds. So would you be open to sharing one of your epic mistakes? Oh, there's absolutely. There's so many. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Huh. So one of the ones that I talk about often 
And when I'm, when I'm talking to people as uh, when we get through the podcast and whatnot would be when I was a brand new leader, I was a brand in, in the air force and the army and the rank was called master corporal. So, so it's the first level of junior leadership where we're really formally put in charge of people. And I was just newly promoted. I was posted to a new unit and the unit that I was in, we were getting ready to go away in this exercise. And I had two people working for me and they happened to be significantly more senior to me in the amount of time they had been at the unit. And so they'd gone on a bunch of exercise, but this was my first experience with this. So anyways, we're doing our stuff. Everything's fine. And I get this email from the supply system saying, hey, guys, make sure that it happened to be three guys in my group. Hey, guys, make sure that all of your stuff, all of your equipment is brought over to supply so we can get it on the airplane in time for the trip. And in my mind, still not quite understanding the the role I had as a, as a leader and the influence I was I was putting out there just by the virtue of the rank and the position. I, what I, I sent an email saying, hey, Sean, make sure you go and get this. I'm sure you know to go and get your effing blah, 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 blah. And then in capital letters, ha, 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 and about 20 or 30 exclamation points. Well, the thing that I did not do was I did not hit forward and sent it to Sean. I hit reply and sent it back to the person who originally sent the email. Understandably, they were very upset. And I got quite a few speakings too about the importance of knowing my position, knowing my role in the world and making sure that when I'm in those positions to understand that what I'm saying and doing matters because it that that email flew throughout the unit very, very quickly. Most people were laughing about it, but there was quite a few that did not see the humor in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. That was I learned a lot that in that little example. Yeah, and I'm I mean that's something that we've all done in some flavor or another. Hit reply all and should not have or you know whatever. But it does. That's such a great point because it doesn't keep you kind of integrity of the position. Absolutely. And, you know, while I did get some understanding because I was new to the unit and new to the what I was doing, what I noticed was that after the fact, I kept reflecting on, okay, what could I have done differently? Like even, even to the way I went and apologized to the supply technician, I'm like, hey, my bad. Sorry about that. You know, I, I shouldn't have done that. Looking back, I, I could have even worded in a different way because the way I was standing over top of this person who happened to be one rank lower than me still, even though, even though the person had, you know, accepted my apology, looking back and, you know, now reading their body language, it was very much like, very likely that it was, okay, I'll accept your apology because you outrank me. And I kind of have to say I do. So, you know, now when I, when I realize I make an error in, in what I do, I, I'm more intentional in making certain to get the, the heartfeltness of the, the apology out there if that apology is warranted. Right, right. I really like that too, that you're really, like it's it's not just apologizing, it's really feeling it and making sure the other person's receiving it. Exactly. So the, the learning that I took out of that was to understand that my influence is present in everything I'm doing by virtue of the position that I'm in. And hopefully down the road, well, not hopefully as I, as I matured and I still figured things out, I realized that I, I needed to be still be who I was, but be cognizant, cognizant of the position that I was in, because that was going to influence how people perceived me and how I did all the different things that I was doing. So I had to be aware of that. Yeah. I really, really like that. I want to back up a little bit too. What made you decide to join the army and the air force? 
Uh, that, that's a really great question. So in on my family, on my dad's side, I was fourth generation. And on my mother's side, I'm fifth generation military. So it was just one of those things. My dad had been in the Air Force and my grandfather was in World War II. So I, I just always saw that as something that was really important to be able to go and help people. And if I could make a career out of that, that would be a really fantastic way to do that. I started in the army as an infantry soldier because I was a 19 year old kid. I thought I knew everything and I was throwing <laughs> hand grenades and shooting guns. You know, you're doing all, all the young guy type of very stereotypical right, right. macho stuff. And, you know, this was the mid 90s. So it was a lot of fun. But the infantry is very hard on a person's body. And when I turned around 24, 25, the Canadian military has a, a really cool program where you can switch trades and stay in the military and they'll retrain you and do all that. And that's how I ended up in the Air Force. Really interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing program. There's a few different ones. Yeah. So how long were you in? Were you in the military again? Oh, so for a total combined time of 26 years. So I did 21 in the Air Force. Yeah. So you started in one position. Obviously, you grew, you shifted. You were able to step into a lot of different leadership roles. What was that like compared to what you look at leadership as now? Oh, so that's uh, it's actually one of the reasons I retired from the military. It's a really great question. So there was one of the big reasons, one of the things I noticed was when I was going through the military leadership training program that we call a professional military education, although I would argue it should be called professional military training because we if the information is fed to us, but that's a whole sidebar. When you're in the program, you're in the moment, you don't really see anything else. So in the Canadian military, and it's very similar in the U.S. military, as non-commissioned members and non-commissioned officers, every time we get promoted, there's a leadership course attached to that rank level. And it's meant to get you ready, really refine the skills at the current rank level, but then also prepare you for the next rank should something happen and you need to step into that role. And so, and that works out really well. That's fantastic. But the trick with that is it's very leadership or military leadership centric. So I like to call it leading with your brain because there's a very clear hierarchy is a very clear mission to go and do whatever that might be. So go forth and do that. And then in 2019, I actually started this graduate degree, a master of arts in leadership. And I, I don't have an undergrad, but what was interesting was how you're able to get into the program is that you submit an application and it's based off your personal and professional life experiences and the board sits and they make a decision. So I was very fortunate. I got accepted and then away I went. Now, the timing of things is was just perfect because I happened to be doing a leadership course for the rank that I retired at as a master warrant officer and the dates lined up perfectly. And what was interesting was two things. A, I learned that a lot of the military education that we were getting was spot on. It was very strong. It was, you know, they were doing what they needed to do. But I also learned that I needed to learn things, at least the very basic concepts of stuff many, many years ago. And so that was a challenge. So... How we ended up doing that was, as I was going through all the program and everything, I realized the importance, or what I rather, what I found myself was doing was, like, I sure wish when I was a master corporal, I had heard about this. I sure wish I had heard about that. And actually, that's how the podcast came about, because it's meant to help emerging leaders get these ideas. So, but the, to come back to your point, sorry, I kind of sidebarred us a bit. To come back to your point, the, the master's degree taught me that it was important to lead with my heart. But what I realized was that's also fine and dandy, but it can't always be lead with your heart. It can't always be lead with your brain. There has to be a middle ground. So that's what I really did is I really shifted my leadership style to be a blend of the two. And when I did that, I found that my work improved, my skills around how I was speaking with people improved because I was really listening and paying attention versus moving on to the next point in my mind. 
I know that was very long winded. That's okay. I like having the whole, like the whole story. I'm sure that anybody who's listening will as well, because it gives you that perspective of where you felt like the gap was too. So how does somebody find that kind of that balance or let's even go with a flow because I really don't think there's a lot of balance in anything, but how do they find that between leading with your heart and leading with your brain and which one should you use in which circumstances do you think? I think a a lot of the deciding how you're going to lead, a lot of that is just kind of understanding the situation and the moment that you're in. And a lot of times I've found when I'm for myself, when I was in leading in a particular position or or role, I wouldn't pay attention to what I was doing in the moment. I'd already be looking at the next thing I had to take care of or whatnot. So what I found was when I needed to decide where on the spectrum of brain to heart I was going to go, I would sit back for a moment and say, okay, what am I doing? And I would actually physically ask myself this, what am I doing in the moment? What is the purpose that I need to achieve? And when I did that, that allowed me to then sit back and say, okay, well, how am I going to be the leader in this position? How am I going to lead whatever it needed to be? And that was, that was very important. And when you left the military, was it there a big transition for you back to kind of civilian life? Or was that something because you've had these classes and education and you were already leading from a very powerful and strong place that it made the transition easier or not a problem at all for that matter? Well, you know, actually, one of the rare bonuses of COVID was that I was already working from home full time. So I wasn't wearing my uniform very often. I wasn't hanging <laughs> with all the guys and girls or whatnot. And then the new job that I started was very similar to the last role that I was doing. I'm now a contract manager for a company called Callion. And so I started literally, I showed up to get my, get my, get my computers, came back home and I'm working in my office right now. And I've been to the office five times in the past year. So there really wasn't much of a difference. Uh, Partially because I was the contracts that I deal with are all with D and D and those types of things, so I'm still kind of in that world, but not really. And so I was, it was a nice little bit of a pull back from actually being part of the, the military family. So awesome! And you know, you're not the first person to refer to their experience in the military as being in that military family. What do you do to stay in touch with your friends, colleagues, people that may not be locally? like right there for you to see. So, because it is, you do build some really incredible close relationships, particularly I think if you're in situations of, of conflict and not necessarily from a, like a, I'm air quoting a war situation, but where there's change or anything else where there can be a lot of unrest. You know, coincidentally, yesterday I was talking to a friend of mine that we were over in in Bosnia way back in 1999. And that was, we were talking just out of the blue about a foundation we're working with together. And the we realized the last time we saw each other was like physically saw each other was back in 1999. And we've talked on and off, I don't know, five or six times over the years, but whatnot. But that cohesion that you were speaking of in, in those, those unique experiences that come really with usually only only with the military, it creates a bond that it's, we go years without speaking to some people and then we meet each other again. And it's like, we, we saw each other every day. So how do I, how do we create that? I honestly, I don't know. It's just something that people just experience and, and we just go through that. But my, my friends that I deal with all the time, I'll be completely honest. It's since I left Cali or since I left the military to start with this new job, things have been pretty busy. And some of that has fallen to the wayside, which has been a super fail on my part. But I've recently realized that that's an epic fail, an epic mistake, and something I'm working towards uh, rectifying. 
I love that you're so honest with where, you know, you've made mistakes or you have gaps. And what is it for you that, like, is there a process in your head where you're like, oh, because sometimes I have those moments, this is why I'm asking, where it's like, oh, duh, like, you've really fallen down in this one particular area. And it could be similar with like friends or not eating as well or sleeping or, you know, something in business too. And then I kind of have a process of, well, what do I need to do to get back on track? So I'm just curious if that's similar for you or you have something, some other way of starting to rectify when you do see that you could be doing better. Oh, I, when I realize that something has gone wrong, whether I clue into it myself or someone has helped me see it. And what I like to imagine in my head is that I get blinders on. I get so focused on a task or something and I put my horse blinders on, I can't see anything Mm -hmm. outside that little world. And more often than not, is someone saying to me, hey, Simon, uh, you need to take those off and see what you're missing. And when that moment happens, whether I catch it myself or not, usually it's not, then what I'll do is I'll say, okay, well, what, what got me to that point? Again, looking in the moment, at what point did I make the critical failure? Usually it's not one thing. It's a whole bunch of little things. It leads up to the, the, the one epic mistake. And I try and understand each one of those points, not from a critical perspective, but just to understand, okay, what was I thinking in that moment? How did I, what decision did I make? Because I made a decision to not contact my friends. Why did I do that? Was it valid or did I just get caught up in my own little world? In this particular instance, my, my super fail is because I got caught up in everything that I'm doing. And the thing that I chose to let go was some friends, which was the wrong decision. And I see that now and I understand that. So I'm reaching out and I'm hoping that they will still continue to be my friend. <laughs> really? <laughs> I am sure they will, because I think everybody at some point in their lives has, has gotten caught up with that. But a lot of people just, once that happens, a lot of people just continue to let that separation happen instead of bringing people back together. Oh, very much so. Very much so. So I'm speaking with this person and I'm hoping, you know, giving them the time they need and I'll take the time that I need. And hopefully down the road, we'll, we'll yeah. come back to each other. I, I'm very hopeful. Yeah. I don't know. That's it. I'm very hopeful. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. You started a podcast, Trench Leadership, a podcast from the front. On your website, it says that you're like actively seeking anybody who's going to listen to you talk about leadership because it's so important to you. Who do you think can be a leader? So, you know, I really believe that... Okay, how do I how do I put this? Anyone can be put into a position of leadership. I don't think that anyone, not everyone can effectively be a leader right from the get-go. Some people they fall into the roles easier than others, and I don't even know honestly if I think that everyone can be taught how to be a leader because being in a position of leadership it has to be something per- a person wants. If you don't want to do it, it's going to be very rough for everyone involved. It's tough. It's tough. And what are a couple of like the key characteristics or attributes for you that make good leadership? Oh, so that's a fantastic question. The, the, the first thing I think, and in no particular order of, of importance, I'd say is a, a leader needs to be able to listen to everything, not just physically listen and use their ears. I mean, they need to be able to listen with their eyes and actively understand the environment they're in because things are changing quickly. And more often than not, it's not the spoken word that is going to alert someone to what's happening. You might notice someone sitting with their arms crossed. 
They don't normally do that. Or there, someone is rambling. Usually they speak a long time and now their their words are curtailed. Well, why is that? Those are the types of things that leaders need to understand. They need to actively listen to the environment they're in. So that's probably one of the things. Well, that is one of the things. The other one would be, I really believe this one, that leaders need to be passionate. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, your team will catch that. It's the same way when a leader is passionate, that your team will just naturally get sucked into that, that passion with you. The kick with that is you have to also rein in that passion because sometimes you just need to put out that energy out there and put the vibe and your hands need to be all over the place. And other times you need to be calm and clear and get those poisons out there, but still be very passionate about what's going on. It's a tough balance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of observing and taking information in so that you can help your people most effectively. I'm also curious too, because for me, I look at leadership a lot like parenting. And I was blessed with two very, very different kids. Night and day needed different things. Their brains work differently. And it gave me a really interesting perspective of from a parenting role, leadership role in many ways and guider and mentor that I really have to understand who they are and get their buy-in with things like chores. I mean, it's a lot of small things, but that's what allowed us to really flow in a family unit effectively. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Agree, disagree. I don't, either way is good with me. Oh yeah. No, I, I'll say, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said when you said the point, understand who they are. As a leader, if we don't understand the people that we've got, it's hard to direct them in such a way because some people are going to need a little more direction. Some people are going to want less. It depends. And it's also understanding that just because a person wants less direction in this particular task, 10 minutes later, they may want more direction and understanding when to step in and when to step back. And that dance, that is so challenging. I'm often reminded about when I used to teach basic training at a platoons were 60 students, 60 candidates. And this is when I really learned how to do that dance because in the moment, every one of these students, how I would have to lead them would be very dependent on if, you know, what the task was, if we had just finished going to the gym, if they hadn't eaten yet, if they were nervous, I had to pay attention and understand that about every single person and understanding that that perception could change instantaneously and being able to adjust myself to help them be as successful as possible. It was tough. Yeah. And I mean, I think there are moments too, it's kind of like the teens and the toddlers where they want more independence and they want to take on more responsibility, but only in some things. And I think the people under you or the people that you're leading can be like that too, as they're taking on new challenges or new projects. And it's really finding that flow of, of support for them that helps them grow into the best people that they can be. Oh yeah. Even things like, you know, words matter. You would, you'd said, you know, lead under you. Well, I'm thinking about when I first left the military in the military, we still use the term subordinates. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't give it a second thought. I still, I still hear that. I remembered when I had started my master's degree and where I'm writing up these, these long essays and I'm talking about subordinate this and subordinate that. And my, my professor was coming back to me. She's like, Simon, you can't use this word. This is, this is derogatory. I'm like, well, not in my environment. And I'm like, well, what should I be using? She says, no, no, now we use direct reports. And this is silly. And I'm still, you you know, even a year removed from the military almost. And I'm like, well, I use direct reports, but I, I don't even know if I'm fully bought into that yet because that's what I knew for 26 years was being a subordinate and having subordinates. But now it's really important in a civilian environment to use that that terminology because it matters. It matters what, what we're thinking. Yeah, and it, I think there's a piece too where 
depending on the words you're using, you can, again, more of that buy-in of feeling like they're part of a team, they have a say, even though you're the decision maker in many cases. Oh, yeah, exactly. And that buy-in is huge. One of the things about when, when we talk about buy-in, it comes up, one of the very common themes in the, my podcast episodes is the why of things. It is so easy to get the information nowadays that if we don't provide it and knowing how much information to provide, we being the leaders, people will simply just go to Google and get it. And quite often it's the first hit, whether or not that's the reality of it, that's the first thing that'll come up. And that's the new truth with finger quotations. So that why really provides the buy-in. Yeah. What made you decide to do the podcast? So there was a couple of different things. The first one I kind of alluded a bit earlier in that I remember when I had started my master's degree and I was like, oh, gee, I sure wish I'd heard of systems thinking back when I was a new leader, not understanding maybe necessarily a graduate level of things, but definitely having understood the concept. So as I progressed through the junior leadership levels of stuff, and then I got my bubble could get bigger. And so I thought, wow, that happened three or four times. And then I had to create an associated knowledge product for the degree. And I said, I wonder if I can make a three-part podcast mini series to make it sound professional or whatnot. And I did that. That turned out okay. And then I thought, I think maybe I could make a podcast. And next thing you know, you and I are talking. There's <laughs> <laughs> a whirlwind. There's a whole bunch of stuff in between, but yeah, yeah here we are. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. So, where can people find the podcast? So, the podcast Trench Leadership, a podcast from the front, it can be found on all of the popular podcast feeds Apple, Spotify, of course. And there's a whole bunch of the not so popular ones that I'm on as well. Probably one of the easiest ways to do would be to go to trenchleadership.ca. And in there, you can find all the episodes and links to all the different podcast feeds as well. Awesome. Awesome. And what's the best place for people to connect with you? So I actually have, I've got, of course, got the website, trenchleadership.ca. But if someone wanted to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. You could either look up Simon Cardinal or you could look up Trench Leadership. I have all those as well. I'm on Instagram as well. And I have a, an email, K at trenchleadership.ca. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll get all those links in the show notes too. So easy to find you then. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So what's new or you're thinking about on your horizon in the next, let's say, year, couple of years? Well, you know, so when I started this podcast, I, I didn't really know what to expect, if it was going to be successful or whatnot. And the steam is really starting to pick up with the show, which was I'm very happy to see because I didn't know if anyone was going to listen. I hoped, of course, but didn't know. Right. So now what's happening, interestingly, is I'm, I'm being approached a little bit about maybe creating some coaching courses, uh, some guest speaking, different diff, those different types of things. So everything is very much up in the air right now. I'm, I'm juggling a bunch of different balls and we'll kind of have to see which ones I, I really grasp onto. Well, and when you and I talked, it was a while ago now, like you've really designed a great life so that you, you have your podcast, you have your job, maybe you do some coaching, but you also have a lot of other fun and, you know, more personal activities like riding your motorcycles. So you really believe in having a well-balanced life too. Oh, yes. One of the, that was one of the other things that came out of this master's degree was understanding that I really needed to, to live into my passion so that I could be a passionate leader. If I was living a passionate life, it just made sense to me. If I was living a passionate life, I could, I could expand that around everything. And one of the things that kind of sticks with me is this movie called Night and Day. And it's a movie with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. Yes. And yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's not an outstanding movie, but but there's a couple of lines in there. So Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, they're in this airline air, airline aircraft. And, and she's saying, you know, someday I'm going to go and ride my car down along the coast of Mexico or something like that. That's not the line. What I remember is Tom Cruise saying, mm, someday. 
That's, that's just another word. That's a dangerous word for never. And that stuck with me. And I got thinking to myself, well, I, am I never going to go run a half marathon? No, I, I, now I've got two in my back pocket and, I, and I'm prepping for another one. You know, I, do I, you know, do I, should I be riding my motorcycle more? I absolutely should. And I fly, I have my, my private pilot's license and I fly a lot. I'm actually going flying right after this because these are those types of things that if I'm passionate about these things in life, then that will, and it has expanded into everything I do. I think that's so important. I've been reading more and more about, at least in the US, shortening the work week to four days or 32 hours or and how beneficial that is so that people have more time to do the things that they're passionate about. I think having that break and giving your brain a rest from whatever it is that you're doing in a work situation really I mean, is exactly what you said. It gives you more happiness, more joy, more passion, more fulfillment, because it's not, as my brother has on more than one occasion said, it's not, you know, going to the salt mines. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, and I, coincidentally, I had read recently read an article that I think it's Iceland mm-hmm. has actually gone to that four day week and they're swearing by it. They say it's fantastic. And it's giving people enough time in the weekends to actually take a day to go and do the stuff in life that we need to go get done when we're not working and then have enough time to really genuinely turn their brain off and think about stuff that they want to pursue. And whereas if it's a two-day week, they're finding, you know, you do Saturday, you do the Saturday stuff. And then Sunday, you're already starting mentally to gear up for the week. So it allows that time to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think we should all start focusing on more. I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah. If we all took a pause from the busyness, I'm air quoting that, and looked at how we can find more space to do the things that we love, what that would look like from a more global perspective. Oh, very much so. That was one of the things that I think was highlighted because of COVID when people had to take those breaks. Everyone's saying it was great. I was I was forced to, it was tough at first. It was an adjustment. And then, you know, it forced people to, to look at those different things. So yeah, it was tough. Yeah. Awesome. Simon, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Oh, I've, I've had a great time. And thank you for letting me kind of take us off for a little side bar before I made my way back to the question. <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries. As I said, I think having all that detail in the background gives everybody a sense of who you are and, and the meaning behind it. Like that's, I think what's really important. So it's all good. Well, thank you very much for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And for everybody listening, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 